When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on a rough roommate situation. A question about tipping and making change. What to do when help isn't helpful. And a wonderful 13-year-old gentleman who asks about being a good guest during hangouts with his friends. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, your question of the week is about hosting maintenance and service people in your home. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and our next installment of my interviews with end-of-life specialist Michelle Achiavati. This week we'll be discussing virtual and drive through funerals. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. Lizzie Post, welcome back to the show. Thank you, thank you. We've, this is our second recording of this particular episode, and that is also why you are hearing our voices sound a little different. We are not on our usual mics because I am experiencing technical difficulties. Dan, I apologize that we have to re-record because something's going on on my end. Lizzie Post, there is no need to apologize, although I sure appreciate you taking responsibility for the slight degradation in sound quality that I don't even <laughs> notice myself when we switch mics, but Chris Albertine, who does an incredible job editing this show, asked us to be sure to mention it, and we are so glad to have him back. It is so nice to have Chris back from his vacation. That's why I said welcome back to Lizzie Post, for those of you that didn't know. Um, we've managed to keep the shows coming out every week, but we were on a, a little bit of a hiatus. We had recorded a few shows in advance. And hiatus? Um, it feels like we're returning in some ways for us. It was fantastic. <laughs> we had a vacation of our own and it was awesome. Um, however, during that vacation from the podcast, um, we were actually working like pretty much 24-7 as much as uh, a parent, in your case, a parent can can work 24-7. Uh, we've been editing the third round of edits, which is the copy edit round on our 20th edition manuscript. And it is that wonderful uh, combination of work that is so hard and frustrating because it's repetitive. We've, we've read this before. We've edited this before. What do you mean at this stage? We are still finding ways to describe how to hold utensils to people. Like, I, I cannot believe that we rewrote that section and 
I am so grateful that we rewrote it. I am glad, Dan, that you flagged it. I think that the version we have now will be in extraordinarily clear to people. I'm going to laugh if when we do the design edit, we come up with something that isn't right. But this whole process has been such an interesting sort of uh, self, uh, an interesting moment for self-reflection because as we're doing it, because it is such frustrating work to have to keep chipping away at something you've already chipped away at. And at the same time, we have been laughing so much through these rounds. Like it's, it feels less fraught than other rounds, even though in many ways it's higher stakes because we're getting closer and closer to not being able to change anything. But I, I've been really enjoying it. I'm so glad it's going to be over as of next week. But what, what's your experience been like with it? Oh boy. I, I mean, I have two competing thoughts. Okay. What are they? And when you say, oh, I'll, I'll be so glad it's over next week, there, there's part of me that's starting to just hold on even tighter. Where I'm saying to myself, boy, I, I wish we had one more yeah, round of this, or I, I, I wish we could minute. do this a fourth time. <laughs> and I know that sounds completely um, nonsensical, considering where we're at right now. The the other thing I've noticed is, just like you, yeah. a, a lot of the major issues or, 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 or things that we wanted to work on, we spent a lot of time on. So you'll get to whole sections of the book, and you'll say, oh, I remember this section, and oh, that feels pretty good to me. And then there are those sections because it is the third time we've yeah. revisited it. They're the hardest questions. They're the ones that or, – or, or or maybe they're the hardest between us or not even yeah. hardest, but they're the ones that are – you know, it's not a right or wrong. It's a, a question of tone or humor. How does this fit or doesn't fit? Is it is it flowing in the narrative that we're building here? And those decisions are sometimes aesthetic, sometimes yep. sort of just personal or, or, or language preferences and – the fact that they're still there means that we've put them off yep. each time. And it, so there's some that you see and you say, oh, this is really familiar. We did this three times <laughs> and we settled at the second. And then others that you say, okay, now we've finally got to, to, to make our choice and it's going to fall one way or the other. And I think that good humor has helped um, get get move through those places. I feel like this is the round where we're also really s stripping away the stuff that um, – might have been jokes or really fun or really, really daring to put in the book. You know what I mean? And we're like, okay, take it, take it down a notch. You writers, you, you're so excited. You were, you're being bold. Let's not, let's not jump off the cliff. Um, but I love what often ends up in its place or there have been a few places and I forget what one of them was, but I think you added a <laughs> cha 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 after something where, so there are these little moments where jokes are getting added in. So it's not, like the book is being stripped of its humor or stripped of its, uh, you know, the, the couple of places where it could seem risque, but it it's fun kind of placing them differently, more strategically, um, crafting them a little more carefully. And, and it can be very humorous to see what we actually thought we might get away with. <laughs> like, At what point was this a good idea? It's, it's like, what were we thinking? <laughs> yeah, like at what point? What what was going on? What three a.m. like editing session did that get passed through? So it's always illuminating, ever entertaining. I'm really enjoying the work we're doing. I'm also really glad that we will be turning it into Caitlin and her team over at Ten Speed Press next week, and we will have it off our plates, and we could get back to things like like participating on our social media more and having fun doing the podcast together. I'm, I'm very excited for regular run of the mill etiquette work at the Institute again. <laughs> Lizzie Post, um, before we leave this intro, uh, you also have to tell everybody what else yeah. you've been doing this last week. Oh my goodness. 
goodness, you are right. I feel, I feel like this book, this project is so in my head that we have to finish it. I forgot what we just did. Um, and that is that Kelly and I recorded our Audible original over the last three days. Um, it, it was, again, recording audiobooks, probably the, the best thing that I get to do at work. It's my favorite part of the job, uh, getting to do it with a friend where it's a back and forth and you're swapping these incredibly embarrassing stories that people have given us and getting to talk about the etiquette and the ridiculousness of them and commiserate about how how you've been in a similar situation, oddly. They're fairly unique. It was delightful. We got to work with a really incredible director who is also an actor who who has been in like movies and television that I've seen. Her name is uh, Megan Holloway and she is wonderful. It was such an experience to have someone who is uh, a, a, a skilled actor directing you and telling you, you know, like in the pickups, uh, see if you can try this line this way. And she's so humble. She's like, I don't know that my way will work. Like you might try it and it might not sound the same coming out of your mouth. And, and that brought so much ease to it, but working with Kelly on it was uh, a blast. It was a lot of fun. And we are going to be releasing this book now in February. So we are really excited about that. And, um, it is definitely the wildest, most explicit content version of anything etiquette related well, I, we've ever done. I, I, I've been so <laughs> curious about it. We've known Kelly Williams Brown for years now, and I know you two had a lot of fun writing that book. And uh, give us the title one more time. The title is Mistakes Were Made. It, it's nice to see it kind of coming to conclusion. The idea had always been that this would be an audible original, that the the thinking even in the writing of the book was that it was more of a script for you and Kelly to read than it was a meant to be a written product, although they, they will print the book. It's something different in a couple of ways from what we've done. And you've had a lot of experience on the microphone over these last five years that we've had together. And I've been just also really curious to hear that come to bear on a project that's more in our literary world. Yeah, it was really fun. Congratulations. Good work getting it done. It's That's hours of time <laughs> in the you. middle of Thank this you. final edit Thank and you. keeping that schedule <laughs> I know wasn't easy. So um, put me in the camp of people that are, are curious to hear the final product. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you don't fire me once you do. <laughs> I think you're I think you're safe. Okay, good. Because in the meantime, I would love for us to get to some questions. <laughs> some listener questions. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND, that's 802-858-5463, or reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst, on Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute, and on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. 
Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is about a rough roommate. Hello, awesome etiquette, and thank you for all the advice over the years. I am struggling with how to best approach a roommate situation. A little background information. I just bought my first home. It's a small townhome in Huntington Beach, California. Congratulations! Congratulations! A close friend recently moved across the country and is going to be my roommate for the foreseeable future. I've known him many years, but we've never lived together before, and I am surprised to see that from my perspective, he is not respecting my new home or the boundaries I express when it comes to use of space. Some of this I can chalk up to adjusting to living with a roommate, but I want to correct some things without damaging our friendship. With some things, like not dumping a jacket and the daily carry on the kitchen table, it was easy enough to clean up after him for a few weeks until he realized and started doing it himself. But there's other things that are hard to comment on without sounding nitpicky, like piling dishes in his room, not wiping off shoes on the way into the house, and leaving dirt and bicycle tire skids on the walls. Generally treating my home the same way he'd treat a tantalizing in Brooklyn with three roommates. But my biggest issue is totally ignoring the storage space parameters I've expressed. We have a one-car garage and one parking space. I use the garage and he has the parking space. I made room for some garage storage for him and clearly expressed that he does not have free range to pile things in the garage. I do not like clutter and all of the spaces that I see as breathing room, he sees as space he can claim. Every time I tidy things up to have that breathing room, he fills it. I've told him many times that if he needs more storage space, he can street park. I'll use the parking space and he's welcome to use half the garage for storage or whatever but that I'm not okay with the stuff just piling up and things being packed in and cluttered. He's been very defensive when I reassert boundaries. How do I address this repeated boundary pushing in a way that is assertive and clear, but still makes him feel welcome to be here? Thank you, Jackie. Oh, Jackie, I am, I'm feeling for you right now. And especially because this is your, your first home that you've owned. And that is, it's a special time. It's a, it's a special feeling and experience. And I remember the excitement of wanting to set up my home just how I wanted it to be. And when you mentioned things like the, the blank spaces that give you breathing room that are getting filled up with his stuff, I just think like, no, like this is your, 
first homeowner's experience. You want it to feel really, really great. And Dan, I am going to start off big and bold and say that having listened to and, and read Jackie's um, email to us, I don't feel like this is a good roommate fit. A lot of the things that we would typically talk about, especially in the early days of a, a roommate situation, it seems like Jackie's already done. Jackie has both addressed things directly as well as done the thing of just doing what uh, they'd like done and then seeing how the roommate reacts. That's what the, the daily carry stuff. It was like the roommate picked up on that and he started moving things. But these other things, when I hear that someone gets really defensive, that it's repeated, that their MO seems to be to fill up the blank spaces in the house that give you breathing room. And, and it seems like you guys have really different living styles. If one person puts a lot of dishes in a bedroom and the other doesn't, you know, I just feel like maybe this isn't a good fit, which is tough news to deliver. <laughs> like it, it really is. And and I want to talk some about that conversation, how you have that conversation, whatever place that you decide you would most like to get to. But I also like you, as I was reading the question, I was noticing myself feeling very sympathetic and also seeing a lot of the things that we often suggest as first tries already having been done. And the, the other one that really jumped out at me was the willingness to compromise. Yeah. This idea that other solutions had already been presented, that we, we, we've, we've talked about changing the way we park and I could even move out of the garage and really be sure you have more storage space. I mean, to me, I'm hearing a real willingness to compromise and also what I'm guessing was pretty effective communication mm -hmm. about that, that that was communicated at some point. So a little bit like you, I, I find myself saying – all right, so is this really the right relationship, the right situation? And there's a complicating factor that we're, we're adding a new role here, that that Jackie is both a first-time homeowner, but she's also playing the role of first-time yep. landlord or first-time yeah. renter um, or someone who's, who's doing the renting. And separating that relationship and that role from your role as friend and your relationship as friend is not easy. And... I think that the one idea I had for a way to maybe start to to clarify those roles is to yes. ask for a house meeting, to start to put some structure around a conversation so that even, even if it was a conversation that was being had among friends, that there would be all the indicators that that conversation isn't our usual every day we're passing in the kitchen negotiating the dishes. But it's it's more of a serious conversation about how we're living together and how we want to negotiate that and, and, and work it out and what we can commit to. Because I was feeling like, A, that language of it's a house meeting, like give, gives it some kind of structure to lean into that I think the friendship needs in order to balance out the roommateship, roommate relationship. <laughs> and then I feel like on top of that, the thing that Jackie's got to remember is that because you're setting that more formalized meeting, both parties should be bringing their issues. And while there are some things like this is the space you actually get that kind of fall in your, uh, Jackie, your landlord role, there are other things I think that are like how you're both choosing to care for the property and how you're choosing to spend time either with each other or without each other within it, how you organize your food, how you handle cleaning, all those kinds of things that really both parties have have the the standing to bring up and talk about and, and make decisions together about. 
you mentioned it gets complicated and the place it does get complicated is if you Jackie really don't care for the suggestions that are coming your way you can't live in a house where those dirty dishes are are in the room ever you know that kind of a thing when, when you really start to see that the style of living that one person wants versus the style of living another person wants isn't the same the hard part with this particular situation is that Jackie owns the home. She's not going to be the one moving out, you know. Um, by the way, I keep proposing this whole, like, moving out, ending the relationship thing. It could be that the roommate meeting uh, provides the space and the structure to talk about everything in a way that you really can communicate, compromise, and commit on the on the issues at hand, like the bicycle tire on the wall and the shoes with the dirt and things like that. I think that's a really reasonable approach, and I don't think it's a terrible Thing to do to in your mind go to the place that would be the sort of the ultimate or most extreme outcome or scenario in fact it's often a really good tactic you say to yourself well if we really can't resolve this yeah. what does that look like and how do i navigate that or if i'm able to resolve it perfectly what does that look like and and, and what is that going to yeah. require of me and oftentimes just having those two boundaries in place, understanding, well, you know, I can live with this if it works out this way or this way is enough to stay emotionally calm and present in the conversation mm -hmm. and a way to really find the, the place within that range that might work for someone else or to know that you've hit that 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 boundary limit and that that there is going to be a change that comes that that is something you've thought about and reckoned with. And I think that you're really right to point out that ultimately the owner of the house has a lot of um has a lot of control in the situation and the respect and the honoring of the friend relationship i think means you're not going to exercise every piece of landlord control that you have recognizing that someone has moved across the country to be there if there is a parting of ways that's going to happen jackie sounds like a really reasonable person to me and i'm sure jackie you would reach an accommodation that gave someone enough time to find a new place to live, those sorts of things. So I, I, in some ways it doesn't come into my mind as necessarily the worst possible right. thing it's that not could as happen fraught. or something to be really scared of. And the other thing that I wanted to mention before we talk just about a couple more things that might help that conversation is that I think a lot of Jackie's concerns are really reasonable. Mm -hmm. um, bicycle tire skid marks on the wall, someone carrying a bike in and out and, and leaving marks on a mm -hmm. wall is something that damage uh, is a very reasonable thing to say that either needs to be fixed by you or we need to have that not happening in the future. Mm -hmm. The idea of that common space in the kitchen mm -hmm is one that I think is a very common discussion or negotiation between people living together. That's less of a place where I bring my authority to bear. Mm -hmm. Just on a personal level, I have to mention the garage. I love a clean <laughs> garage. Nothing in the world satisfied me as much this summer as getting the garage nice and clean. And <laughs> different people see that differently. I have a hard time keeping that space open. My parents stop by and drop stuff off in that space. My family is filling up that space. I find myself filling up that space. And... <laughs> to really establish that boundary in a way that someone else sees it and respects it is something that might take repeated reminders and repeated discussions to, to, to really enforce that that's something that matters to someone in the course of the discussion where you're talking about it. My advice is to keep the focus on the positive, how much you enjoy it, how much it matters to you, how this is something that you see people could see differently, but for you personally, it's something that you really care about and asking for help, respecting and honoring that I think is oftentimes the best way to get the outcome. 
that you're looking for. Jackie, congratulations on your new home. We are sorry that your roommate situation isn't isn't crackerjack just yet, but we are hoping that with a little bit of communication and structure, you'll be able to get to the place that you both need to be in. Thanks for the question. I guess there's no use in saying I'm surprised. You can see that. Keep talking, Ben. Give yourself a chance to think. I want to thank Miss Alton for this opportunity. Now that we know more about you, Ben, we began to understand you a little better. Why did they see you one way, Ben, and not as you really are? Is it possible that you do not give them enough basis for understanding? Our next question is titled, Tipping Troubles. Dan and Lizzie, hello to two of my favorite people. I, like so many others, love your podcast so much. I have always been a huge Emily Post fan and was thrilled to find Awesome Etiquette last year. I am listening in order from episode one, so I don't know if you have addressed my question yet. Can you ask for change when you're giving a tip? My husband was getting his hair cut when he went to give a tip. He only had a $20 bill but wanted to give a $10 tip. Can he ask for change when giving a tip? Sincerely, your biggest fan, Ashley. Oh, Ashley, thank you so much for the question. And I don't know if we have done this particular one in the 373 previous episodes. So uh, Etiquette <laughs> Gold Star for finding a slightly new angle on an old question um, that has oh. a very simple answer that I think we can then have some fun talking about. The, the easy and quick and simple answer, it is absolutely appropriate asking for change so that you can make the... Yeah proper tip. In fact, I think it's a really good idea. The The way that you can feel the best about tipping is when you feel really secure and confident that you're doing it well. And knowing yeah. that you're tipping the right amount and having a good idea of what that is and then taking whatever steps you need to take to get there so that you can feel really good doing it is the way to keep the spirit of generosity and gratitude really at the center of that tip. And that's the important thing anytime we're participating when we're talking about gratuities and tipping. Lizzie Post, there is a funny little psychological moment here, though, and I, I think I understand the hesitation. <laughs> I'm so glad you remembered it from our first recording. So this is one of those things where a little bit of, of paying attention, I think, can go a long way. And the thing not to do is to hand the person that $20 bill saying, Oh, and could I please get change for this? Because I will admit, I've worked in a lot of jobs where you get tipped. It is thrilling to be tipped way beyond the normal. And it happens on rare occasions. You, you never expect it, but it is like glorious when it occurs. I mean, just angels and orchestras coming out of nowhere and your day, week, month, like is just beyond incredible. Like sometimes that one giant tip is more than all the other tips you've gotten in a Wait, day. Wait, that's not a, a 20 in my hand, that's a hundred? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, so when that 20, when even when that 10, even when that five sometimes, um, and, and for fun, even when that 50 or 100 um, comes out of a wallet 
And you just, you cannot help get partially excited that that is coming to you. And, and that is real. So what I think you should do is wait to pull it out of your wallet until you've asked the question, would you be able to break a 20 for me? Yes, I can. Okay, now you hand them the 20 and they know that that 20 coming at them is absolutely meant to be broken and that you're not about to like surprise them with a gigantic tip. <laughs> Lizzie Post, I am so glad that you got into the, the, the moment because I could totally see how that would happen, that if it's the sight of the money first, before there's any mental preparation, right at that yep. moment where you're maybe expecting a tip, that that could cause um, just just a momentary confusion or disappointment, that you don't want to be part of that experience. The What I was imagining was, yeah. and this is the place that my head goes, so I'll reveal some of my insecurities, is that I, I start to worry <laughs> that I might appear cheap. That here I've got I've got this money and I I, I want to give you less so I need you to break it up for me and it really isn't no. that at all the expectation isn't all. that you overtip and <laughs> the fact that you're breaking up your bills so that you can give a tip that is a reasonable tip and that that someone will be appreciative to receive it, it, it isn't something that I would worry about so I was really yeah. I, I dismissed that concern some and I appreciate yeah. your your uh, more specific approach. Well, and like to the insecurity that you experience in that moment on the other end of it, it's, it's like no, no one who works in the service industry would expect that like you give them all the cash you have. Like, it's just not the way most servers brains are working when they see someone maybe like flip through a wad of bills or something like that. It's like, no one would look at you as cheap for giving them the expected tip within their industry. A reassurance we all need sometimes. <laughs> Ashley, thank you so much for being our self-declared biggest fan. That is also very exciting. And thank you so much for getting us a new question in episode 374. We hope that our answer helps. So we see how money serves as a standard for future payments. A yardstick by which we measure the value of anything bought or sold to be paid for in the future. Tom first used it as a medium of exchange for goods. Mr. Kelly received it as a medium of exchange for services. Our next question is titled, Fumbling with my furniture. Hello there. I have a question about flat pack furniture and friends. <laughs> Recently, my friend very kindly offered to drive me to a big flat pack furniture store, as I have moved houses and needed some new items. She then brought me home and offered to help me assemble it. It was so kind of her. However, as we got started, I realized that she wasn't being quite as careful with the assembly as I was. I noticed she was screwing in screws at quite an angle, and on one occasion nearly damaged one of the pieces as she tried to bash it into place. I tried to gently guide her, talking my process out loud. For example, I'm finding it much easier to get these screws in straight if I twist it in first before using the screwdriver. <laughs> but she didn't seem to take much heed. I was able to redirect her to another part of the assembly that was more straightforward. But I was really concerned the whole time that she was going to damage the furniture, especially as it was made of fairly cheap materials. I didn't want to offend her and be checking everything she did, but I also didn't trust her to get on with it herself and it made the whole process a lot more stressful than if I'd just been doing it myself. Do you have any thoughts on how I could handle a similar situation again? With this friend, I will make sure I gratefully decline similar offers of help, 
but this is the kind of favor that people seem to offer quite regularly. And I don't want to get stuck in another moment like this and not feel comfortable asking them to just put down their tools. Thanks in advance for your help. Best, Anon. Anon! I like the nickname for Anonymous. I think you did so many things we would have already told you to do. Like, I love the example where you're telling someone how you're finding a better way to put these screws in. That's like, I, I feel like those words probably have come out of my mouth at some point. Like <laughs> I hear myself. I hear right? myself there. Like, I really do. It's like so relatable. And also the fear as you see that friend like screw something in and almost mess up something you probably just paid like a couple hundred bucks for or something. I mean, like it's, you know, it's flat pack, but it does not mean it's inexpensive. And so I can just see the frustration and the place that I would go to next. And Dan, Please call me out if I am about to suggest some form of like uh, white lying or little lies, Mickey Mouse lies or anything of that. But I think even though I would want to get this furniture done, I am now in a place where I do not want to get this furniture done with this person and that it is okay to say, you know what, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with this. I actually want to just stop and pick it up again later this afternoon, you know, like, or later tonight. Thank you so much for offering to help and for coming over and getting it started with me and driving me to the place. Like, thank them for everything they have done. Tap yourself out. Be like, I'm, I'm out on this. And because it's my house, my furniture, and I, I, I'm I, like, you know, I'm not the guest kind of friend helping in this situation. You have to be done too. <laughs> like... <laughs> Okay, I I don't think that's deceptive at all. Okay, and, thank you for absolving me of that. <laughs> well, I but I want to put the 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 positive etiquette spin on the idea because I don't think it's just an escape. I really okay. do think that it's um it's about stopping what's happening and yes. it's about taking responsibility for that decision on yourself. Mm-hmm. Even if there's a the, uh, you're making the choice because they are potentially going to damage something that you just purchased mm-hmm. or you just don't trust them to 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 do it in a way that you would feel really good about to me that's not something you need or want to get into explaining to somebody yeah. and that it is entirely reasonable to say you know I'm I'm not feeling like this is working well for me right now because it's not and mm-hmm. or you know I've had enough of this for the moment or I'd really rather enjoy my time with you. Let's get a cup of coffee in the kitchen and just relax for a minute. Thank you so much for taking me to pick this up that, that you both take responsibility for ending the work that's happening, that you make that choice and you make it clear, but then you also take some responsibility as a host to then transition the experience, to invite them to do something else, to turn the focus on to your appreciation for what they've done for you. Just kick them out the door. (laughs) Don't don't dwell in that oh, awkward moment or, thanks, or, or space. <laughs> Could you put that down and leave? And leave. Yeah, no, not the way we're gonna go. And I think it's executing that transition that's where the the art of good etiquette starts to come into play. And even if someone gets the sense that okay, my help's not um, being appreciated here, or it's not help that they want, it's it's also within a very reasonable set of boundaries among friends and. I, I couldn't help read this and start to to fly back in my own mind and think about the general problem of people offering help that you don't want, and that it that it's it really is an etiquette conundrum. 
Yeah. I too, Dan, was thinking about that because part of the question Anon has for us is, you know, what what should I do? How could I handle a similar situation in the future when someone is offering help? And I think I would be very um, willing, maybe cheeky, maybe daring a bit to actually say to someone, if I'm saying things like, oh, I've got this gardening project that I'm going to be doing, you know, and, and a friend says, oh, I just love to garden. I would love to help you with that. I know how much manual labor it is. I would love to do that. That's when I would say, okay, years of experience have taught me that what you just said is an incredibly generous thing to offer, but I've got to be honest. I've had some help that wasn't really helpful in the past. So would you be willing to like, you know, really, I don't know. Now pick your battles, do what I say, follow instructions, like work with me on it, but not take over because I have dreams about the bluebells that I've wanted to plant here for years. You know, like I I would start getting very uh, particular and almost in a humorous way so that they understand you've kind of been through this scenario on the bad end before, and you'd love to have the the good side of it, like handled. Dan, is that too much? Do I, do I go overboard? (laughs) As is the question when editing a book, there is often a question of dosage, not a question of right or wrong. And that's true. <laughs> it is certainly true that I think oftentimes your the, the, your personality, your gregarious nature sort of allows you to make some choices where you go some places I might not because I would feel a little <laughs> awkward and that would come across. Do y'all hear how wonderfully tactful and generous that was? <laughs> like that is some good etiquette work uh, right there. <laughs> I, I, I really like the part of your answer where you're saying things like where you're essentially pr- thanking. I, I think that thanks is um, a plus. I think that always I mean, the, the I think the official etiquette answer is when someone offers help and you turn it down, you thank them for the offer. Yeah. And that's the way to really keep the focus on sort of the quality of the exchange. And it allows for all of those other things like, no, this is something that I only do myself or I don't appreciate the help you offer. I just can't accept it right now. Whatever. The timing isn't right. Having issued that thanks, I think qualifying the kind of help that you would be willing to accept is also yes. really smart that you put, yeah. you put the, you put the framework around that. So they know what they're saying yes to. And I think in your particular case, talking about your, your love of bluebells blue and your willingness to take some direction <laughs> when it comes to either weeding or planting them at the right depth, or I don't even know bluebells. You would need to tell me exactly what to do. Um, <laughs> is is also really smart i don't know if i would get into as much that i've had a bad experience with this before but you (laughs) do that with such good humor that i think you might be able to get away with it without transferring that as an expectation onto this other person but as more of an explanation without just throwing the other friend completely under the bus be like listen i did this with jamie the other week and oh boy like no way there's there's a reason this was signed anon uh, exactly. <laughs> Lizzie Post, I was having so much fun with this question that I took a crack at a few sample scripts. Oh, could I, I hear. <laughs> could I maybe offer them up? Here we go. Um, uh, could you help hold this while I screw the screws in place? So this is me escalating ah. through um, sort of interventions. First, first, okay. maybe this is how I like to do it. Then comes up the where you sort of engage yourself and actually join them. Um for putting a stop to things. Hold on just a minute. I want to be really careful putting the screws in. 
Mm-hmm. And that's one where it's it's you've it's, directed them like hold on just you're, a you're, minute. You're giving clear direction and you're taking responsibility for it. You're explaining why you're doing it and where yeah. you're coming from. If this is all failing, do you know what? I want to put this whole project on hold and come back to it when I've got a little more time yes. and attention to get it. Yes. Right. Good work, cousin. Good work. I like it. Anyway, Plotting escalating time. sample scripts. <laughs> <laughs> Anand, thank you so much for this question. It has been a delight to explore the answer, and we certainly hope that our answer helps for when your friends decide to offer favors in the future. Before men learned how to control fire and put it to work, it was man's greatest enemy. In much the same way, your emotions can be your own greatest enemy. Or under control, your emotions can make you healthier and happier and improve the lives of people around you. Our next question is titled, A Young Gentleman Wonders. Hello, Daniel and Lizzie. To start, I am a 13-year-old boy. I have an important question involving me going to a friend's house. When I go to my friend's house, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what the proper etiquette is. I know I should say hello with eye contact and a good handshake to the adults and say thank you for allowing me over. I don't know if I'm supposed to bring a host gift or not. If I am supposed to bring one, is it for the friend who invited me or their parents? Also, I never know if I should take off my shoes, so I sort of stand there in limbo. If I have a wet jacket, where do I put it? I know part of that is expecting one's host to be a good host, but there's only so much I can expect of the barely teenage boys that are my friends. And when my siblings come with me and they just make themselves at home, how do I give them cues to be more polite? Is it considered rude for me to do so? If I should, how do I do it nicely but still get them to take me seriously? Please help, befuddled boy. B.S., it would be totally cool if you wanted to read my question on your podcast. And we did! Oh, I I also want to say don't feel befuddled. It sounds like you are doing so well. And even if your mind is yeah. full of questions, I can just hear in the questions that you're asking a mind that is that is so clear and is probably interacting socially so well. So um, just bravo. Three, three, three etiquette cheers from the host of Awesome Etiquette. <laughs> Because can I also say that just like our befuddled boy, wonderful gentleman here has said about his friends, how much can I really expect of other, you know, teenage preteen boys? You, my friend, dear befuddled boy, are also a teenage boy. And frankly, you're already like off the charts in terms of politeness and what one could expect from a teenager. So I think and that's not to put down teenagers. It's just realistically you're developing, you're growing, you're learning things. We all are, frankly. Um, But it's it's so you're so ahead of the game already. And I think that so many of the things you're curious about, A, we can give very quick and easy answers to, and also just put you in a category of someone who is already so aware and so polite. So please just continue being yourself and and don't worry too much. You really are not going to misstep far with the, with the way you, you seem to think about this kind of interaction. Absolutely. And th- there, there were a number of questions here, and I think we could just go through and address yeah. them all sort of one after another. Go for it. Um, and I think there are a couple of themes that are going to emerge pretty quickly that are, that are also worth addressing. <laughs> um, so 
Yeah. This begins with the question of going over to a friend's house. And in some ways, it, your role as a guest is going to give you a lot of clues as to what your best course of action is. Slightly complicated by the fact that you're being hosted by a couple of people. There's the friend who I'm guessing or the friends that are about your age. And then there's also the parents of those people or the guardians or those people that are responsible. And the fact that you're just aware of those layers that you've got a couple of sets of hosts, I think is a, a really good place to start. I would really focus on my friend. They're the person who's done the inviting and they're the person that I would turn to first. Although I love the way that you present yourself to the adults, that you offer to shake hands, that you introduce yourself and that you thank them for, you said allowing me over. I might do a slight tweak for inviting me over. Yeah. But the basics there are just nailed. You introduce yourself, you do it in a way that's a little bit structured and formalized, and that you that you thank them for having you. That's just that's just a plus. And you don't have to introduce yourself every time, obviously. Once you know them, you you can drop the introduction and say whatever name they've asked you to call them, whether that's with their title or whether that's just their first name, it's perfectly okay for you to then just address the parent. Hey, how's it going, Bob? Thanks so much for having me over again. Love getting to play with Jameson. You know, it's like, you're just such a delight in my head. All right, keep going, Dan. Well, and it's funny, it's that getting to know someone, I actually think that makes the the, the question that follows kind of interesting. The idea of, should I bring a, a gift? Should I bring a little host gift? And sometimes that thought is triggered by, this is my first time going somewhere. Oftentimes people, when they're, mm -hmm. when they're invited to someone's home for the first time, the idea of bringing a gift is something that, that comes up. And is oftentimes a good idea, particularly in more formal situations. This is a more of a friendly situation. I like that you're thinking about honoring and formalizing that first visit, but between high school friends, the expectation that you bring a gift on a first visit is not something that I would hold myself accountable to or for. In fact, I like honoring the informal nature of the relationship, the friendly nature of the relationship. Emily thought that it was precisely those close friendships that didn't require gift exchanges when you just visited someone's home. And Emily really appreciated that, that you could just go visit someone and know them well enough that there wasn't an expectation that you bring something with you and that that was very liberating for her. The other thought, though, that came up to me as Lizzie talked about getting to know these people better, it might be that as you get to know them better, you play around a little bit. You might say to yourself, I love doing this. Maybe I bring the the, the, some flowers for my friend's parents and just put myself in that category that's just ridiculously <laughs> next level. Lizzie's laughing at me right now for even suggesting I am. I mean, it. Come on, you're telling a 13 year old boy, like, inspire him to bring flowers. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's very cute. I think it's super unrealistic, just so you know, befuddled boy. You don't have to show up at a play date with flowers. Yes, it would blow you out of the water, but it might not be an out of the water blown experience that you need to aim for. I no, want to put that out there too. I, I like, was really more... not a need to fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I was really thinking about it from the perspective of if this is something that you would just love to do and want to play with, that I would wait till yeah. I got to know people a little better to play around with it. That that might be a, yeah. a, a way yeah. that you yeah. could access no, and engage point. with that without um, it, it feeling awkward. It does remind me uh, just a, a little bit of a reality check for us two hosts of this podcast 
that if you were a 13-year-old kid listening to this, it could sound like there there's just so much expectation on your social behavior. And I just want to reiterate again that while all the things we talk on about on this podcast are really good things to learn, adopt, think about, and, and be self-reflective about, they aren't all things that are going to uh, be implemented in every interaction that you have. And that's a, just an important point out there for adults and kids listening alike. But kids, you guys get so much leeway. Lean into it. Enjoy it. <laughs> so I, I want to get into the the what, what happens after this introduction, after you've walked through the door. And the question about shoes on or shoes off is one that I would direct to my most immediate host, whoever's available. If my friend was standing there, I would ask them, oh, are we shoes on or shoes off today? Or is this a shoes on or shoes off house? And I would do the same thing with the jacket. I would ask my friend, I've got a jacket. Where? What should I do with my jacket? And your host is going to tell you. They're not going to leave you standing there with that question unanswered. Yeah. Lean into that role of guest. Ask your host and you're going to be in really, really good shape. Even one that isn't anticipating that question or hasn't answered it for you in advance, you can kind of take the mm -hmm. role as a guest and a guest playing their role well sort of inspires that host guest dance. You're going to draw the best hosting behaviors out of your host friend by being a good guest. Cuz what do you think about the the next set of questions that come up regarding the sibling? When your sibling comes on sort of a and and you're a teenager, I don't think of them as playdates, but but that like when your sibling does end up coming over to play with your friend as well, how do you think an older sibling and you're you're an older, I'm a, you're an oldest, I'm a youngest, so maybe we have differing perspectives on this, but what do you think about your role of guiding or responsibility for your little sibling on a on a playdate? I think that those two thoughts are the two different tracks that I want to develop and I want to keep some space between. I think that there is a, a, yeah. a really good and appropriate role for an older sibling to play th that's doing some guiding, that's helping the siblings that you yeah. just know so well and have a good and established relationship with navigate a new situation to at their best. And I think that there's a role mm -hmm. that you can play as a sibling that might be a very natural, easy role for you to play. And all sibling relationships mm -hmm. are different. That that might be something that comes easy. It might be something that's not as easy. I feel like I could hear you reminding me, like if we went on a play date when we were kids together, I feel like I could hear you being like, Lizzie, don't forget to take your shoes off because you know that I'm someone who forgets to take my shoes off all the time. And I could see that being a little super easy correction. But if it was something bigger, I think... <laughs> This kind of sounds horrible. Tell me if this sounds horrible. But I feel like I would kind of let my sibling do their thing. And if it was really inappropriate, I might talk to mom and dad about it, but not as like a tattletale throw them under the bus thing. Like as like a, hey guys, I'm not sure that, that, that Becky understands that like we're really not supposed to just help ourselves to someone's fridge without asking first, you know? Like I don't, I don't know. Is that ridiculous? Is that crazy? No, Silly. because okay. as you said, you're, it, it might be entirely appropriate and even good etiquette to guide that ultimately you're not mm -hmm. responsible for them and their behavior. Now, maybe at 13, mm -hmm. you're talking about a babysitting situation where you are responsible, where oh. the, 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 good point. the accountability is really on you to help take care of them. It's after school and you go over to a friend's house or something like that. But it is also my guess that 
your parents are not expecting you to be the parent and to do the parenting. And that if there are issues that come up that require more of you, that require you to start to step into that role of doing parenting, not just taking responsibility in the moment, but either applying discipline or making decisions about how to teach these skills, that I think that that, that your yeah. parents are really wanting to probably be the parenting for that and would want to know about issues or questions that came up that were beyond what you felt comfortable dealing with. So I don't think of it as tattling. I really think of it as getting the bigger issues in front of the people that want to deal with them, maybe just a smidge, but I think it's okay. And it's also worth saying that siblings are, are, as they often are, unless they're twins, they are growing at different rates. They're developing at different times in their lives together. And that can often, I think, make an older want to correct. It often makes a younger grow up faster, but be careful about nitpicking someone who's younger than you too much because it, it can start to wear and, and create an uncomfortable sort of dynamic between the two of you. There are other places where it's going to be exactly what's helpful and what helps that younger sibling grow and learn and, and get that little edge up from being able to see someone come before them, you know. Interesting dynamics of where you fall in the sibling chain, you know? <laughs> I think it is important to honor that, both both the fact that we, we grow and change in different ways and that sibling yeah. relationships ebb and flow and grow and change also. And that you might be at a place in a relationship with a sibling where that's a very easy role for you to play and it's um, really appreciated by your hosts. And there might be other times yeah. in that relationship where that's not so easy and it really is best to lean on your parents to do that kind of um, supervision of your siblings. Befuddled boy, you said it would be cool if we read this question on the podcast. I am not a good judge of cool. I am firmly in the dad world where I get in trouble when I declare things cool, but I think your question was really cool. Thank you for sending it in. And we hope our answer helps. Oh, man. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you enjoy Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette, where memberships start at just a dollar a month. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we have feedback from Ray on a question in episode 347 about responding to compliments. Hello! Thank you so much for your awesome podcast. I was intrigued by the question about how to respond to compliments on an outfit or item of clothing. I am very intentional about the way I dress. Maybe that's the reason I tend to get a lot of compliments. Yes, a simple thank you is sufficient, but it can feel a little awkward. I will often add something like, it's one of my favorite colors, or I love the way it feels on. I couldn't resist the pattern or graphic or slogan, etc. 
Sometimes these led to conversations, sometimes not. But I feel like I've accepted the compliment without taking credit for the item or outfit. Thanks again for all you do to help us live more graciously. With warm regards, Ray. Ray, thank you so much. And this is such a great reminder. You are right. It doesn't just have to be a a thank you, even though the thank you is sufficient enough. I remember at one point we had received this question, and I don't I don't think it's the one that Ray is referencing. I think she I think Ray is referencing a different one, but where it was about accepting compliments for your dog felt wrong because it wasn't like a color that you love. Well, maybe, maybe your dog's the color that you love, but it wasn't something you would personally pick. Although your dog is probably something you personally pick. So there were these, these moments where a pet owner was very concerned that they were somehow taking too much credit for their dog's individuality. And that was another word just to thank you could suffice. But I, I love the idea of bringing a little more conversation to it. Oh, I got it from my favorite store. Oh, it's a hand-me-down from my mother. Oh, this, oh, that. Something about it, I think is really nice because someone is they're complimenting you on the piece for sure. Something I liked about these replies too is that they didn't always minimize or deflect the compliment. There's something really nice sometimes about receiving a compliment and saying, yeah, no, that's something that matters to me too. I put a little effort into that. I I, I love these patterns or these colors or something like that is another way to affirm somebody. And I think it's a, a nice thought. Thank you for the feedback, Ray. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette, and today we are so pleased to hear another installment from Lizzie's interview series with Michelle Achiavati. In this episode, Lizzie and Michelle discuss virtual and drive through funeral experiences. Michelle, while I still have you for a couple more minutes, I wanted to ask about one of the biggest changes we all experienced collectively, frankly, across the globe over the past two years which is during this pandemic, how we were able to gather and grieve together changed greatly because we weren't able to gather in in many circumstances. I know you told in our very first interview a great story about a woman who rather than kind of bring the closest of the family, she picked different people from different important parts of her husband's life to come. And that way you could celebrate all his life, sort of as opposed to his closest, most cherished people. And and that was a really fascinating example of how someone dealt with the difficulty of a 10-person limit on a funeral. We've seen things like Zoom, you know, come into play. And I don't know whether you would call them drive-by or drive-through or parade style, um, you know, whether it's a wake or, or a service itself, even almost like drive-in services, what do you think are some really good tips? Because some some of these practices are staying with us, even as we are able to gather in larger numbers. How do you kind of see us absorbing these things well? I do think that some of these things, like especially using Zoom, is probably something that is going to remain a bit more common because there's always people that can't attend. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to get time off of work or, or you just live too far away, or maybe you've decided to come back and spend time with the person when they were dying. So you can't come back for the funeral or, you know, an unexpected death. I mean, it's just, it's just not feasible to travel in that amount of time. 
So one of the things that was, I think, really hard with the transition to, to using Zoom is that Zoom is a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just do the same thing, but record it and have people, you know, sitting in their living rooms and watching the, the funeral. Because, you know, as I've said again and again, a funeral serves a, a specific need. So, you know, mm-hmm. we're really kind of getting down into what do, what do people need from, from a funeral experience? And then how do we translate that into something that is going to involve a technology like mm-hmm. Zoom? So I think that there's a bunch of things that make a Zoom funeral more successful or potentially potentially more successful. More successful totally. Yeah. And, and, and by more successful, I mean, having people get a, have a fulfilling experience from attending the funeral as opposed okay. to, you know, just logging in and, and watching. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that one of these things is, is really to think about finding ways to make it a collective experience. So taking things that, that are common parts of funeral rites when we do gather together in person, like singing together or reciting mm-hmm. a prayer together or a poem that somebody particularly loved and making sure that everybody that's signing into Zoom has the lyrics, you know, can cue up the song um, or, you know, whatever it is yeah. so that they can all participate in that way or that it's a moment of silence where everybody's going to be sitting um, for a period of time. I think that that's really helpful at the beginning to sort of settle people into this experience. Okay. Um, so I think that that is a, a really good thing. And to think about inviting people to participate. I feel like that seems almost counterintuitive because we've all been on Zoom conference calls and seen how difficult they can be at times to participate in. How do you sort of uh, corral that experience so that so that it doesn't just become a lot of people talking over each other? Yeah. Well, and I think this, this is this is this thing about like not trying to do the same thing, really plan ahead and design the ceremony. So I think that one of the things that's becoming more common even in in-person funerals is that, you know, somebody's is, you know, anybody that wants to stand up and tell a story now can, right? Yeah. And that is always a tricky place as a funeral director, because when do you cut people off? You know, right. like if you've got a reception that's starting in half an hour and somebody like me, who is very long-winded, gets up to tell a story, it's, it's what's supposed to be the close of the funeral. How do you, how do you negotiate that? And so when you're planning something on Zoom, I think it gives you a little bit of an opportunity to give people a set of expectations, you know, keep your remarks to two minutes or less. You can even bring in something where, you know, you're giving everybody the chance to say one word or sentence, you know, so it's a collective activity. But what that does, I think, is that it allows people to feel seen and heard and be mm-hmm. more than just a box on everyone else's screen. Mm-hmm. So another thing that I think is really helpful for this, for, for online funerals, but also for um, the kind of the parade, drive-by, drive-in, mm-hmm. drive-through style funerals is to really tap into your like super creative friends. So oh, we okay. talked a little bit about having the circle of people who are going to care the most. Uh-huh. And, and maybe that creative friend isn't quite in that circle, but, you know, if you've got um, a scrapbooker and an artist and musician, you know, somebody that is used to kind of engaging crowds or creating art to come up with some sort of activity or way mm-hmm. to, to get crowd participation going. I have seen some really beautiful things where like everybody got a piece of fabric and got to draw on the piece of fabric. Uh-huh. And then that was a parade style funeral. And then they put it in there window um but you could even do that on a zoom funeral where everybody holds it up to their screen and everybody can see what was created or you can take a picture of it right and and do a slideshow of 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 this so things that get people engaged and I've just always been 
really impressed by what creative people can come up with. And yeah. so, and, and we all have those people in our lives. So again, kind of recognizing when somebody's talent might be of particular use. And again, it really goes back to that, creating that collective experience. Another thing that that's changed is that even a parade or a, a Zoom funeral is going to have a limit. And of course. we, we a talked point. a little bit about how, you know, death is a community event <laughs> for people that are a part of, of their community. There's always going to be some people that maybe aren't comfortable showing up for the funeral or aren't going to, I don't want to say make the guest list because it makes them sound like their grief isn't as valid, but yeah. for, for whatever reason, you know, they can't, can't be there. Can't yeah. be there. Um, and I found that the obituary can be a really great tool of, of extending that collective experience. And so, okay. Um, actually, if, if I could share a little story. Please. I kinda... Yeah, no, I, you know, I mean, I know what's coming audience and I actually really appreciate this was another thing that made it into the book because it was such a, I think it was, it was such a fabulous way to extend the collective experience to the greater community as an opportunity. Yeah. And I think that was really impressive. So yes, please share this story. So it came early in the pandemic for me and it was wonderful because it just, it showed me so much of what is possible yeah. um, when we're willing to kind of accept the circumstances and then figure out what we need from this. And so the, the person that had died was just somebody that was super visible, vibrant and integral part of, of the community. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to their wife about how to invite the community in, and, and whether they had any sort of rituals or something like that. And, and what she came up with was that uh, she and her husband, every night they would have, you know, a martini together and they had a special toast that they said. And so she put it in the obituary and, and, you know, the obituary, I think was, you know, published on a Monday. So people had a couple of days to get ready, but it was just like, you know, on, on Saturday at this time, would you please, you know, mix a drink of your choice, doesn't have to be alcoholic, mm. but raise a glass and say this toast. And that was what was in the obituary. Oh, I love that. And what was beautiful about that is that she and her family were together in her house and her children knew that this was happening, but she didn't. And so when they were going to raise their toast, they had her go to the window and she's like, why, why are we going to the window? And she looked out the window and all of her neighbors were standing out in their driveways, except for um, one woman that couldn't leave her house and she had the lights on in her window and they all toasted from their driveways and from their window and, and said as loud as they could, the toast. And, and so she was able to see that and I'm getting emotional. Just I know I'm sitting here crying (laughs) on the other side of the zoom right now. It's just just so beautiful. And it, 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 and it was so important for, you know, mm-hmm. even for the people on, on, on his block yeah. to say, you know, we see you, we love you. You know, we're going to miss you, the, the man that had died, and we are going to be here for you, his family. Um, oh, really beautiful. Really and and beautiful. another thing I found out later was that people took pictures of themselves and then shared them with the family afterwards, oh. raising the toast and shared what they drank. And it became not just that one moment, but this extended series of moments where over and over again, they were getting reminders of how people had felt so grateful to have this chance to participate and to share their story about what they did. That's really beautiful. I know that we talked to you about other ideas that people might do is to wear um, the person's favorite color. And obviously the obituary would tell you what color to wear on a particular day, whether that's their birthday or, or, 
something. I don't know what, you know, pick, pick something special. And that, that's a really visual one that mm-hmm. when you're out and about that day and you see blue, you just wonder, you know, like, is that someone celebrating Jim or something yeah. like that? And, and, it's, and, it, it's and it again, it allows for that collective interaction. And, and you might even ask, you know, are you doing this in memory of so-and-so? And then you have a chance to share a story. Yeah you know, there was just this isolation that we were all feeling during the pandemic. And, and so it was a way to feel held in community. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I would love to see continue. continue. Yeah, um, I think so too. The other thing that, that really kind of speaking of old things that came back it was, <laughs> was letter writing. Yes. Um, and people that took the time to handwrite letters um, to families and to share. Um, and so I think that that was another really beautiful thing that I hope comes back. But it does come with um, the kind of the last thing I think that really makes all of this successful is is to have a bit of a sense of humor. Yeah. Which I know can sound strange when we're talking about grief and, and we're talking about after somebody has died, but there is always room for joy. This is something that I have learned in, you know, my decade of, of being somebody that works in, in death and with people who are dying is that there is always room for joy. And that laughter is such an important part of the grieving experience. So whether it's, you know, just being able to laugh at that one person in zoom that can't figure out how to unmute themselves, (laughs) you know, or somebody's naked kid running by in the background because kids are kids. Um, Yeah. Or, or just recognizing that maybe you're going to be in a car parade and, and, and half the parade is going to make it through that red light and, and the, the other half is and, yeah. and the person at the light doesn't know where anybody's going. And, you know, and yeah. so just to, to make room for, for that, because it, I think that it just, it allows something that had to adapt to a set of circumstances that were added to stress yeah. and to the difficulty and grieving. Um, to make a little bit room for that again people are going to are be trying their best yeah and and sometimes it's going to look a little wonky the thing that I learned walking Mm -hmm. through this with with families is that even when there are restrictions when they are curveballs as you said you know you can still absolutely honor the person that has died and you can still experience and be held in your in your grief it might be different from what you were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully it's still going to make you feel like you had a meaningful experience as you move through those initial stages of grief. Oh, thank you so much for once again being here with us and for talking about some of the, I almost feel like we have to call them the the new old <laughs> like experiences because green burial for so long was as you said how we did things but and also for just discussing especially from your perspective what it was like and, and what we can expect as we navigate these sort of new elements to burial and, and end of life ceremony I really appreciate your perspective and it certainly opened my mind up a lot to just the whole idea of how to handle grief and dying and mourning during difficult times. Lizzie, thank you so much for putting together this series with Michelle. We have heard a lot of feedback about it. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. And I think the audience has also. Many, many thanks. Oh, thank you so much. Michelle and I have become very good friends throughout this process. So it's been a delight to get to work with her. But I also, I love how much she has 
opened me up to talking about death and dying and experiences. And when we wrote that hard times chapter and when you and I were going through it, so much of the conversations even that we've had since the first writing of it were influenced by this later series. And I just really want to appreciate um, everyone kind of going there with us. It's a little bit different than our usual postscripts, but I really, really appreciate us uh, tackling the topics. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many delightful forms. Today, we have a salute from Amy. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I would like to offer an etiquette salute to the kind woman on my flight back from San Francisco. On our flight on Alaska Airlines from San Francisco to Boston, my husband had a sudden bout of air sickness that left him throwing up all over himself, myself, and the seat in front of him. Normally, this would be embarrassing enough, but then the time of COVID, when any illness makes everyone panic, we both panicked. <laughs> he was uncomfortable, he was upset, and he felt awful. The woman across the aisle from us calmly and kindly reached into her bag and handed us a very large pack of baby wipes. It allowed us to clean him up enough that he could get from the window seat to the restroom without making more of a mess, and let me fix up the seats around us so we could finish the flight cleanly and that our flight attendants didn't have even more to deal with after the flight. The look on her face when she handed it to me with a small smile saying, Hey, things happen. Here you go. Made me go from upset and scared to, oh man, this will be a funny story later in about two seconds. <laughs> I just want to once again thank the kind woman in the row across from us on our flight for changing what could have been a horrible situation to one that can become a funny story later on. Hopefully everyone will remember this as we move forward to try and have some sympathy for their neighbor, Amy. Amy, thank you so much for that. It is that is such a terrible position to find yourself in, and what a, a just true relief, delight, all of the above to find a, a person who wasn't going to judge you, but who was who was going to smile and, and offer something that might help, and had something that could actually help. As as someone who now travels yeah. with. Uh, like a full stack or a full cart, whatever container of baby wipes, pretty much everywhere I go. It's in one car, it's in the other car, it's in the backpack, it's in the office bag. Um, they do, they come in so handy. And how nice to have somebody just show up at the right moment and to relieve that stress and put you at ease. Thank you so much for this salute. It's a really nice reminder of how much a helping hand can really make a difference. And thank you all for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share this show with anyone you can, any way you can. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. 
please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette, where our memberships start at just a dollar a month. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app, and please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.